All right, welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. Raf Giallo here. You can catch us on RT.ie, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can subscribe to whichever ones you want to get the latest episodes as they land. Lots to talk about today, including uh, Stephen Kenny's Ireland, the under-21s, and Athlone Town winning their first FAI Women's Cup in very dramatic fashion. And I'm joined today by former Ireland international Pete Tracy and the 42.ie's David Snaid. I hope uh, you're all in good form. And uh, I suppose where we're going to start off is probably on the grim note of of the final Euro 2024 qualifier in Amsterdam and look, uh, 1-0 defeat to the Netherlands, Wout Veghorst's goal in the first half and David, I mean, there wasn't anything riding on it but there was this whole, you know, with this being potentially Stephen Kenny's uh, final competitive game in charge, weirdly enough, there was this kind of testimonial feel to it, at least that's the way Shea Given described it. Yeah, no, like once once the Dutch kind of took the lead, you kind of just seeing a kind of all the confidence pretty much drain out and a lot of the purpose drain out of the of the of the Ireland team. Like they actually started the game relatively well, had that chance with, with Alan Brown, had a bit of purpose about them. But that game kind of just sums up the campaign in terms of once once something went against them and that they kind of struggled maybe to to get back on terms and actually I don't know, get back just really make make a game of it. And I suppose I don't know, it just it kind of you're kinda of hoping beforehand, like even in the whole week building up to the game, speaking to to players and who were obviously for me they were, they were talking about obviously backing the manager and talking about wanting to have a result for him and stuff, but maybe just the nature of the confidence is just drained out of them over the over the last while because of how results have gone that they just weren't able to do it. And it was just it wasn't a whole. It wasn't a very unsurprising kind of end to a campaign. Obviously, it could have been worse had Gavin Mizuno not kept kept the Dutch uh, out with some really good saves and uh, some good moments. But yeah, it was just kind of like the campaign whole. It was just a kind of a pretty dispiriting end, to be honest. Yeah, and Keith, I mean, breaking it down, I mean, looking through it, like the gaps between midfield and defence, there were, I think Josh Cullen seemed fairly isolated. The Dutch seemed to be always finding pockets of space there. And I think the the goal itself almost exemplifies it as well, like the amount of space that Wout Veghorst found despite not being the uh, the quickest uh, over the ground. Yeah, um, when I when I listened to Stephen Kenny's uh, pre-match interview when he was saying that we're, we're going to look to have a, an air of control in the game and we're going to try and press the Dutch high and it was just for me it was the wrong way to go about it and um, I know Stephen wants to be on the front foot he wants to press people all over the place but I've had I've had a real look at, at the goal we conceded and Liam Scales is on the left wing you know marking uh, Javi Simons and Simons is thinking I want to drag you out here so at some point Scales must think I'm a centre half he's not going to score from the left wing it's 10 minutes into the game in Amsterdam, Rafa. It's it's totally, totally nonsensical thing. Every professional fibre in my body when I was brought up would, would have told me to go back where they came from, that he can't hold me from there. So, look, Stephen wants to press people all over the pitch. That's all well and good. It's a great sound, boy, but it's very, very naive. It's either naive or silly. It's one or the other. And we've been doing this now for the last couple of years, trying to go toe-to-toe with people. And the result will say we only lost 1-0. I think we can all agree we're absolutely battered. It could have been an awful lot worse. The Dutch, the Dutch's finishing at times was really, really bad. We played our way into trouble trying to play out from the back. And look, I'm not saying that I wanted us to go there, tip off, kick the ball out of play, and just keep it making it horrible like that. We can we play for the, for at least the first 20 minutes, Raf. You have to start chipping the ball into the green grass in behind. You get the Dutch to back off you, you slow the tempo down, you disconnect the ground. That party fail that the Dutch had. 
we just we just fed into it. Everything that they would have wanted us to do, we did. We kept the ball around the back. We popped the ball into midfield. And the Dutch let us have it at times and just said, right, we'll close the door now and nick it and go on porches. And look, it, it, it's basically the whole campaign summed up in one, in, one, uh, in one game. We're not good enough to compete with, with the big boys at this level. So why we keep trying to have a game of football against them is absolutely beyond me. But um, yeah, look, it's Evan Ferguson as well. Like People are saying to me, we have Evan in the squad now. We have a little bit of magic, but we need to get the ball up to him. If he, if he hasn't got the ball, if he's not in and around the ball, then he's not going to be able to affect the game. So why we're starting our attacks, and that's what people say when we're playing out from the back, we're starting our attacks. We're starting our attacks 70 yards away from him. And it, we're not good enough to go bop, 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 bop. We, we just haven't got it, Rafa. I've seen it now for years and years. We haven't got it. So let's just cut our claw accordingly. Play to what we have. Play our strengths. And I'm watching Scotland last night and I'm thinking, look, if Scotland have better players than us. That, that's a given. They're a more talented bunch. But the individual sum of what they do, you never come away thinking John McGinn's won that game for them. Scott McTominay has won that game for them. It's a team approach. It's, it's the way they rattle and harass and get about each other. And look, the Norway game aside, they weren't great last night, but how they got to that position against the Spanish was just running around and, and 100% work rate. And against the French, against the Dutch in the first half in Dublin, we had that work rate against the Greeks. It did drop down. And it's not a, a thing that you can throw at Irish teams generally. But if we worked as hard as, against the French, like we did against the, if we'd have worked that hard against the Greeks, I think we'd have got something out of it. But the fact that our, our biggest weapon over the years for me has, in our DNA, has been. The underdog, the underdog mentality, and we're going to rough you up, and we're going to get a Belgium, and we're going to play a little bit of football as well. We've we've took our main weapon away from us, our heart. We we don't do it anymore because it's all tactics, tactics, tactics. I think we need to go out there, be prepared to suffer, run through brick walls, play for set pieces, put the ball into their box, make people defend, make them uncomfortable, and we'll get things out again. We'll beat the teams we're supposed to be, and we might nick an odd scalp every now and then. But at the minute, we're getting beaten by teams we should be beating, and we're getting hammered by the teams that are better than us. And, it's just nowhere near good enough for me, Raph, but everybody already knows all this. Yeah, and we're at a tipping point, obviously, with Stephen Penning and his future. And he was speaking to Tony O'Donoghue after the match in Amsterdam. So let's listen to what he has to say about the deficit in Irish football and also his future as well. The fact that your players continue to support you publicly, and it would seem in the dressing room as well, how does that make you feel? Yeah, I don't think it's just for me. I think it's for the whole environment and the... The level of professionalism with all the staff, uh, it's not, not just me, I think it's with all the staff to be fair, I don't think it's just a personal one on me, I think it's all of the staff and, and the level of professionalism. I think obviously we've rebuilt a team, a complete, um, over the last couple of years, um, you know, all these players have come through because it was needed, there were the alternatives are players that have moved down the divisions, um, there's no one that we're overlooking, okay, there's a massive deficit in Irish football. Uh, all of these players have been obviously been fast tracked through. Um, but do you think, Stephen, that because of the the results and the way the, the, this last campaign has gone, that, yeah. that that will be the end of your tenure as such as Republic of Ireland manager? I really don't know. You know, I don't control that. Um, it's quite possible. Um, I don't. I don't. I don't know. Uh, but um, it's all I can say is I, I can. You know, I see. I see uh, the effort tonight and, you know, the high level of skill and the bravery. Um, it wasn't enough. Holland were better than us. Um, and, um, and what's the alternative? Defend deep and, and just try and see it out. And, like, the, the, 
they'll break you down anyway if you go that we 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 went to to uh you know we went to try and uh as create chances at home by pressing higher so now um they cause us more when they play through our press they cause us problems but uh, overall the players uh, i thought showed they were so very very courageous in and out possession and were willing to fight to the end um uh, just that little bit of cutting edge that we needed, level of crossing at key times, let us down a bit, I felt. Do you and, think um, that these players, for another manager in the future, as they develop more as, as, as players, as people, as professionals, uh, will deliver for Ireland? Yeah, I think a lot of these players, uh, their careers on an upward trajectory, all of them, bar one, one or two, their careers, uh, their best years are ahead of them now, careers on an upward trajectory, um, you know, We've blooded them early. That's really enhanced our own careers. They've, a lot of them have the international uh, performances have helped them get their move in their club careers in a major way. And that's eight or nine players. I'm not talking about one or two. And I think um, it's it's helped them. Um, now we need to you know we need to get better at what we do and a lot of good things. Um, but obviously uh, it was a, uh, the toughest of groups and. I know there's a lot of criticism about the Greek games, but I think um, the uh, players gave everything tonight. But just Holland were just a bit better than us. Okay, we got to leave it there. Thanks, Stephen. Thank you. All right, so uh, that is Stephen Kenny there, and just on the um, you know the idea of there being a massive uh, deficit in Irish football, David and. I guess where Kenny fits in that as well. And for want of a better word, do you see him maybe sort of almost a victim of circumstances in a way that this is a sort of a very, very long transition and gaps between sort of generations? Um, yeah, like I know what you say in terms of, see, it's one of them where like, I come, like Anthony, if you're going to be building something, you're trying to improve something and, and put in foundations. It's very hard to do it when you're a senior international manager and trying to do it from top down. Do you know what I mean? Like, I know he's mentioned there about blood and a lot of players and, it's more than 20 players that have obviously been been given their debut, which yeah, it's 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 needed to be done. Like if you go back to the last Euros, wasn't it like the second or third oldest average age, and now it's one of the youngest, like the second youngest of the of the qualifiers, um, which maybe yeah needed to be done, but it kind of it feeds in, of course it does, it feeds into that that sense of and I know obviously Keith has spoken with this and he'll know as well, obviously being involved with St. Pat's, just of the need of it needs to be bottom up, you know, in terms of of building it. And it needs to be something where whereby you have that long term plan in place. Do you know what I mean? And like the FAI released it in July where they're talking about the infrastructure plan and they were talking about obviously wanting to have upwards of nearly 900 million euro in terms of from the government and putting that towards obviously not even just League of Ireland and grassroots but also even just making their own infrastructure out in Abbottstown with the pitches there modern do you know what I mean like that's what was needed that was needed to be fit for purpose essentially which is incredible when you think about it Um. so and in terms of in terms of the players yeah like you can look at it like you see McKenny referenced it there and, and I think Keith mentioned it as well as well about just Say wide players, and you talk about say the likes of saying like Benny, obviously that. But the reason why I reference him is he's at that age profile 26, 27. Where if you look around the squad, there's very few who are at that who are at that age level where lads who you'd be thinking, right, have got already a little bit of experience behind them coming into their peak years, possibly not still haven't actually maybe properly hit it, but ready to, to emerge. And there's very few 
who are actually at that stage. And that's where even, I know Stephen Kenny has mentioned it before, about almost like a lost generation of players where you look at, say, the likes of even like a Shane Duffy or, or a John Egan who are in there, but then below them, the age profile, it drops significantly down to, say, the lads who are 18, 19, 20, 21. And I suppose at international level, when you've been brought in only over the last couple of years, you're going to be playing playing catch-up big time. And one of the points that I kind of would make if... And even Stephen Kenny speaking today, and he obviously at the pre-match press conference for for New Zealand, and he's talking about maybe if it is his last game, which all we all now expect it expect it to be. But the big thing would be is it's been great and it's been needed that they're having these players coming through. But you, they're going to need their confidence picked up a little bit because they've been in this rut now for a little while. Where results where the new manager comes in, yeah, it's been great that these players have been blooded. And you would hope that yet yeah, he will be on that up, upward trajectory, but there's still an awful lot of work for him to do at club level and international level. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not a given. It really isn't a given that yeah, the experiences of the last year or so will like properly make them into international players. We 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 cannot tell that yet. Like they have to go and do it now, even in their in their club career and in in the short term in the next campaign for next year when it's obviously September by the time the Nations League rolls around. It's gonna be a case of the kind of the point that Keith made as well about well, like how do you actually pick them up a little bit here and make sure that they are have got results. So you have this deficit of we're talking about their players coming through, but in the short term, the players who are there and and, and have been blooded, that they're the ones that are gonna be there. But there's gonna be work to do now as well to kind of pick them up to, off the floor a little bit because there's no there's no doubt in that the last the last year or so it's just that confidence would have taken a massive hit and it feeds into what happened in that game against against the Dutch where as soon as they did take the lead the confidence was drained out of them they just weren't able to pick themselves up at all. Yeah, and Keith, just on the aspect of what Kenny said about the players being and the younger ones, this is which is sort of the bulk and core of the squad being on a upward trajectory. Um, Evan Ferguson aside, I think there's a sense with him that's definitely the case but in general where do you feel the ceiling is at for some of those players because certainly age-wise there is uh, there is scope for an upward trajectory but at the same time a lot of them have a lot of them have found kind of their career stalling with a few exceptions and a lot of them playing in the championship or just uh, maybe not where maybe some expectation would have expected them to be yeah i, th- I think if you uh... There's a couple of individuals that are looking very, very promising. Obviously, you take Evan Ferguson aside, he looks like he's going to be an absolute superstar. Um, you look at Andrew Moran, he looks to have everything. But, Raph, it, it's more of a sign of where this Irish senior team is that Andrew Moran plays a handful of games in, in the championship at Blackburn. Looks really good. I'm not trying to diminish how well he's playing. He's playing very, very well. But all of a sudden, we're saying, he's the next he's the next hope. He's the next one that's going to do it for us. And we've been here before. We Troy Parra, Aaron Connolly, Amabemadele's... Uh, career seems to have stalled as well. He was one that came into the into the group and we thought, well, you know, defensively he looked really good. We were talking about putting him 1v1 with Mbappe. He can't get a game on Nottingham Forest. So, although the potential, we have an awful lot of potential in the squad, but potential doesn't pay the bills. And I've been part of, I play for Ireland at every age group coming up. The amount of, like, every, every year it gets harder and harder and you see your players or your friends starting to diminish and you, all of a sudden you're the only one that was playing 15s football and that's playing 70s football, then 70s football, 19, it gets filtered out again. And then even from when I played on the 21s football, I think Seamus Coleman is the only one that I played with that's in that team right now. And I'm only 35 years of age. So it's not, you don't become a good 21s player, a little bit of a flash in the pan and get thrown into the senior team. And this senior team, 
Stephen Kenny's talking about having the blood a lot of youngsters. That's no, yeah, okay, I, 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 I totally take that on board. But if you're going to blood all these youngsters into international football, you have to give them an easy way of playing. And an easy way of playing is a 4 4 2 or listen, lads, when we when we lose the ball, we're going to drop into a 4 4 2 or a 4 5 1, something simple. You know, there's too many. I look at I look at Benny at Luton. When a Benny gets the ball at Luton, he doesn't try and come in and play off people and do one twos. He gets the ball, he runs up the pitch, he gets his team up the pitch, and he plays from there. And he's a brilliant outlet. He looks really good against Liverpool. He's starting to become a Premier League player. But we don't do that. We get the ball at the back and we're telling our Benny to come inside when it's there. I want you to make these little need integrate runs. That's not his that's not his style. Keep it really, really simple. We've too many novices at this level to be playing this expensive time of football. And one of the, the, the basics of football, I've been in, in lower-ranked Premier League teams like uh, where Blackburn were quite competitive at the time, but Burnley, these, these, when, I, when I played with Burnley, the, when you play against a bigger team, the basics of the game is you make the pitch small. When the opposite team have the ball, make it small. Get yourself nice and compact. Make them play around you. Don't let them play through you. We're going chasing the Dutch all over the pitch. And it, it, this is nonsensical, crazy stuff. And look, if we nick the ball and we score a goal, you say, ah, this is excellent football, brilliant stuff. But we did that in Dublin. And I think it was so naive to think that this group of lads could go to Amsterdam and play the same way and, and possibly get the same, uh, well, we did get the same result, we lost. But it's it's just, I think we need to be simming off the same hinge. It's too, it's too hard for these young lads to come into a struggling Irish team that's low on confidence, going to Holland, trying to play out from the back. And look, we, we can, some sound bites sound great. We're going to do this and we're going to do that. That all sounds great. The reality is very, very different. It's very different. And look, I know, I've probably gone off on a little tangent. You asked me what the, what the potential is like. We have an awful lot of potential, Raf. But these lads are, that are 20, 21, 22. There's so much that's going to come into their lives. When they come 26, 27 and they're playing at a, at a level and they've done it for two years, three years, then I would get on side and go, listen, we have a player here. We have a couple of flash in the pans at the minute that look like they have potential and we're all desperate to get behind them. They look really good. The pick of the bunch is obviously Evan, but he's up the top of the pitch and how do we get the ball to him? So I don't know if there is potential there, but you know, I think we, we need to play and we need to make it easy for these lads to go and have decent international careers. And once they have 15, 20, 25, 30 caps under their belt, and I'm talking as, as, a, as a team, then maybe we can say, well, let's start complicating this a little bit because at the minute, it's the, these are novices at this level, and we're getting them to do things that it's just off the wall and, and way too hard. Yeah, and of course, uh, the international window is an end for Ireland. That there is the New Zealand game tomorrow, so kick off at seven forty-five PM. Friendly, of course, and uh, coverage on RT two and the RT player from half seven, and that's going to immediately follow the under twenty-ones game. Evan Ferguson appears to be fit for it, from what Stephen Kenny said in the press conference this morning. Nathan Collins, though, um, ankle ligaments being an issue, he's going to be out. But let's listen to Matt Doherty, who was also speaking after the Dutch game because it was kind of interesting, and also then straight off the back of it. Stephen Kenny, who was talking about what the situation is if it, it does turn out that the New Zealand friendly is his last game. What was it like in the dressing room afterwards? Because if all the talk is, is right, that could be Stephen <coughs> Kenny's last competitive fixture in charge of Ireland. Look, I, don't, I don't know anything about that. I hope that's obviously not the case. Um, like I've said many times before, this group needs needs to be coached, um, needs to be coached well, and, and that's, that's exactly the things that we've been getting for a long time now. So um, look, I hope I hope he stay. I hope he stays on after the game. Obviously, it was a lot of disappointment. Um, just talking about little, little things in in the game, the differences. Um, 
between getting results and not getting results. Um, but going back to Stephen, look, listen, I've always backed him. He's al he's always backed me. Um, so for me, I'd love to see see him and all the coaching staff stay. Um, if people really saw what it was like on the training pitch, what it's like in the changing room, how he how he cares about his players and. Um, just generally how how they set us up, the attention to detail that they have. Um, uh, I think it would be hard pressed to find find somebody else who who can deliver that. Obviously, the decision has been made next week. You know, like whatever. But if it is my last game, so be it. Like I, you know, I I wish if there, if there is a new manager to follow me in that regard, I wish him well. And I think uh, if uh, you know if that if that is the case. And, and they make that decision. I don't know what decision be made, but regardless of what decision is made, and if there is um, a new manager to come in after me, um, I, I will absolutely wish him well and wish the team well moving forward. And I'll always support Ireland. So from that point of view, that's that's the way I view it. All right. So Stephen Kenny there, and before that Matt Darty and David. You know, listening to that uh, the Darty interview, I thought, um, and he was speaking to Tony O'Donoghue, of course. I thought I found a lot of that quite kind of fascinating, especially the the line about if you could only see what was happening in the dressing room, and then you're kind of squaring it with results as well. Uh, uh, but there is a consistency from the players in terms of backing um, the work that Kenny, Keith Andrews, and everyone else is doing. So it is kind of interesting on that point of view. Yeah, like it's it, it, it's natural in the sense, and it's it's been a recording team even over the last couple of years. When because like it's not a new thing here where Stephen Kenny's under pressure and people are discussing his job. Like again, I got back. I remember writing an article uh, for this in the Forty Two a couple of years ago. You go back to the summer twenty twenty one when obviously Ireland had uh, a training camp abroad and then they played Andorra, and um like that was around the first time as well when say people who were involved with the FAI, be it people who were on the board or people in positions could actually spend a bit more time around the squad and actually go and watch training and all the rest of it because obviously with COVID up until that point there was like everyone was in pods and all the rest of it you couldn't really get a sense of it but at that time there was, that's when even, Steve, even Stephen Kenny was coming under pressure and there was stuff coming out if you remember Seamus Coleman was injured but linked up with the squad wanted to be around the place and there was even talk then that you know apparently senior players weren't happy with, with some of the stuff that eventually was totally refuted and like I remember at the time speaking on and off the record to players and they were effusive in say praise you fast forward a couple of years a couple of years and it's still the same and it's probably natural in the sense that because he has given Stephen Kenny has given so many of these players their forced caps they're going to have that loyalty that's going to be a natural thing in football where the, especially international level the player the manager who brings them in there's going to be that loyalty they have that working relationship even with some of the players going back to even the 21s level I'd like to say a Matt Doherty suppose naturally would have it because up until that point you remember previously I think it was Martin O'Neill I remember he was talking the way he felt as if his face didn't fit in the in the squad and and obviously Stephen Kenny came in and, and has shown an awful lot of faith in him so it's it's perfectly understandable that a lot of people will, a lot of players will have that will have that loyalty to, to say the manager but then also you, you hear what as um, Matt Doherty said there about, about say work that has been done on the training pitch and it's, it seems that it kind of tallies from what, what other players will tell you is that like a lot of it is very like it's very not similar I won't say similar but same but like just in terms of the processes that they will go through in the training pitch it's very it is very similar to what's happening at club level just because the nature of what's happening with coaching and how it's done now with the all the different licenses and how a lot of ideas 
are quite kind of similar a little bit. So we, like there is that element to it as well, where you know, like it's very pointed as well. And Matt Doherty would say, you know, this that this group needs to be coached. But then that feeds in as well to what Keith, the point Keith made as well about well, they need to be coached, but they're all coming through at a very similar point in their in their careers. Like what way what's the best way of going about it and actually making the transition to this senior level as simple as possible for them. Because I'll be honest, maybe it's my own ignorance to it and just my own basic not understanding as well, obviously, of, of that level of football. But I would have thought coming in that they wouldn't need to have something just basic and rudimentary that they could actually deal with other stuff that was being asked of them or maybe stuff that wasn't... I think the point that Keith made is actually it's it is it's kind of maybe more of an interesting one that even players at that level finding their feet and getting a sense of it if the information from them is actually a bit more simple it just makes it a, a bit easier it's, it's only when you say it out loud it's, it seems so obvious and it's so straightforward but I kind of maybe had it in my own head well these are elite players coming forward in their in their careers that they could deal with certain with certain situations and certain instructions but clearly maybe it is just a case of probably crawling before you you can walk and even run you know yeah and Keith, just on what Doherty said and obviously uh, as David said there you know um, Doherty would be would has worked under some great managers at club level whether it be at Spurs or um, Wolves in his uh, couple of different spells and yet um, as much as he says you know the coaching on the training ground is you know top notch there is still the issues of game management as well and as you've kind of alluded to the Dutch game being an example but previously through the last couple of campaigns as well. Yeah, well, he's talking about uh, players are coming in and they need to be coached. That That's not an international manager's job. If, if a player is coming in to play international football, he should be of a certain standard and he should be ready to go. Now, I get there's, there's certain little tactical tweaks that a player will have to learn here and there, but some of these players are going to talk with 360. They're going from whatever they're doing in their club system to not playing, to being in and out, to being a mainstay in the Irish team and we're going to play this most complicated way of football. And he says, you know, if you could see the work we're doing on the training pitch, the things we're doing behind closed doors. Well, you had a 10-day training camp in Turkey before the Greek game and you just looked like a bunch of strangers for 10 minutes. So, you know, you can rubbish an awful lot of the stuff that's being saying here by the players. And a lot of players will have a loyalty to Stephen because they're playing for him. They've got caps under him. So I totally understand all of that. But you look at the group, take one quick look at that group, Raph. We're, we're looking weird out of the group with Gibraltar. The Greeks have threw a couple of punches. They battered us twice. We won two games and they were both against Gibraltar. We scored nine game, nine goals in the group. Seven of those came against Gibraltar. The other one was a penalty and a set piece. So this this stuff of we can do this, we can do this, we can't do it. We just can't do it. And look, that's not to say, again, I, I keep going around to, it's either we go long ball or we play football. There's a hybrid approach here. It's not all of one and none of the other. So when they're saying the training ground, the, the dressing room, all that means nothing. It's all about what happens on the pitch and what's been happening on the pitch hasn't been good enough. And it, it's it's that simple. Players can come out and say, I like him, I, I, I have a time for him. I, I have a lot of time for Stephen. A lot of people have a lot of time for Stephen. I, I was quite close with Keith Andrews before he went into the Irish job. I have a lot of time for him. I know John O'Shea, a lot of time for him. But tactically, it's been wrong. And I think we we have to play it a different way. And the, the longer this keeps going on and on, the longer this is going to be said and, Look, I think you're asking players that are novices at this level to play and you're saying they need to be coached. You're coming in on a on a maybe a Sunday afternoon after you played on a Saturday. You're not going to really train on the Monday because the legs are still a bit sore and a bit stiff. So by the time Tuesday rolls around, you might get a little training session in. Wednesday will be a little tickle as well. Thursday, you're into, right, this is what we're going to actually do, lads. 
So you're talking about 24, 48 hours before the game that you're starting to touch tactically what you want the lads to do. Now, that's 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 too big, Raph. That That's not enough time to go through every little thing when the ball's here, I need you there. When that's there, I need you there. We need problem solvers and we need players with intelligent heads on them to know where they need to go. And Look, whatever Stephen's coaching, if Stephen's telling Liam Scales to go and stand on the left wing after Javi Simmons 10 minutes into a game in Amsterdam, that's kamikaze stuff. And people would say, you know, that's the way we want to do it. That is kamikaze stuff. It really is stuff. It's naive and it's kamikaze. So we've done that. And he's saying, well, look, let's drop in. What did the Scottish do when he didn't have the ball last night against Norway? They dropped in. Aston Villa is a prime example of this under Unai Emery. When they lose the ball, they drop into a 4-4-2. And they just have two banks of four. They keep two Ollie Watkins and Bailey up front, two speedsters. And you just think, we're going to win it. We're going to give it to them. And we're all going to come straight down your throat. And it, it, if, you, if you're a professional footballer, you know how to defend in a 4-4-2. If you don't, you shouldn't be a professional footballer. Everybody knows how to defend. There's very little grey areas. It's black and white where you need to be when the ball's in certain positions. Simplify it and build from there. We, we like, like David said, we started trying to run before we could even walk here and we just keep getting found out. And I've already, the, the next couple of years to me, I, I wouldn't say they're right off, but Euro 2028 is the big one for us. We're going to be a host. We have to be a part of that tournament. And I'm talking to my mates, I'm talking to other pundits and analysts around me and they're saying the only way we get to that tournament is if we get a boy into it and I, I have to think it, I'm pretty similar to that thinking as well you know unless we get some sort of crazy backdoor route with the, which they've probably already alluded to yeah and the timeline uh, over the next wee while of course there's an FAI board meeting next Tuesday 28th of November which uh, Kenny's future and this campaign will be assessed and uh, presumably a decision will be made at some point after that and then of course friendlies in March and no competitive games until September's Nations League campaign and then I suppose on the wider thing Keith I mean I saw a tweet by um, well they're not called tweets anymore but anyway, it doesn't matter um, by Dermot Looney who's the author of Saints Rising the, uh, the early history of St. Patrick's Athletic FC and uh, he wrote the only game in town for the Ireland men's senior team and the entire football industry here is huge investment in LOI facilities and academies debates about managers and playing styles are mere sideshows which suit those who thrive in the pool of shallow analysis um okay the the last part of that I might <laughs> I might uh, push to the side slightly but his wider point I think um you know whoever comes in next is there a sense that possibly until you know there's investment in facilities in terms of uh, things that will help uh, better players come true that any manager who comes in after Stephen Kenny is kind of coaching and managing with one hand behind their back yeah I, I think so a lot of people when when Brexit came about a lot of people thought great our, our younger talents now will have to stay in the country and we'll get to we'll coach them and we'll see the best of them and they won't they won't be able to leave till they're 18 19 on a human level that's brilliant but we've all spoke about the facilities within the League of Ireland for years they're not, they're, they're not good enough. For certain, some some Shamrock Rovers, uh, Pats, maybe to a certain extent, have enough. The, the facilities are okay. But all of a sudden, you know, our best talents, 15, 16, 17, it's now our responsibility to get them ready for first-team football where when I was playing, at 15, I went to Blackburn and Blackburn got me ready to go and play first-team football. So the facilities, the structure, the time on the pitch, I mean, when, when I went to Blackburn, I was living there. I was living in the digs on the pitch uh, from... I think I woke up at 8 o'clock till 9 o'clock at night. The facilities were open. All I did was play football all day, every day. We have the lads on the pitch maybe three times a week. and You need, you need so much tech, technique work, shape work. There's all so much that goes into it. And we just don't have the time with the lads, let alone the facilities needed to 
get them ready for first team football. So Brexit is helping us, but it's also giving us a, a bigger responsibility with these younger players that we have to mould them. And we're not quite ready for them. If, if I personalise it for like the likes of Sam Curtis, who's 17 years old at Pats, doing really, really well, getting hair on his chest, playing in cup finals, playing in the Aviv in front of 40,000. But he needs every day, he's getting it at Pats every day. But the, somebody, so you know, Sam's a little bit different because he's in the fourth team at Pats. If somebody's 16, you know, they're not getting the, the, the minutes on the pitch needed. They're, they're still in school. They're, they're juggling, you know, junior certs, leaving certs. These are all things that when I was across the water, were sort of taken out of my hands and I just played football and my life was was sorted out by everybody else. So the lads are juggling an awful, awful lot and the clubs have an awful, an awful lot more responsibility. So that needs to change. But at the same time, Raf, I don't, it can be used as an excuse to this, for the first team to a certain extent, but that group of lads that we have now in the present can win an odd game of football here and there. They can compete a lot better against Greece. They, they, right, they beat Gibraltar. Nobody's patting them on the back for that. But go and compete an awful lot better against Greece. Go and give us the force half against the Dutch. Give us that an awful lot more often. The French game, nobody's giving out about that because France are probably the best team in the world. Nobody's, nobody's worrying about that. But the Greek game is what really, really grates on people. That, that group of boys have an awful lot more in them to show. It might not be with that style of play. It might be a different style of play, but that, that they, they can win games of football. So I don't think Stephen Kenny can look and go, oh, well, the League of Ireland is not doing so well or it's a little bit behind schedule. So that's why we're suffering. That's not quite the case. It, it does need help. Everybody needs help. The force team needs help. The kids need help. But that group of lads can do an awful lot better. Yeah, and let's turn our attention to the 21s, but still thinking about the seniors. And this is uh, off the back of Andrew Moore and being promoted uh, from the 21s and wasn't involved in the 3-2 defeat against Norway. It won't be involved against Italy. Will probably make his debut at some stage against New Zealand. And that was a talking point um, in the in the build-up to the 21s game against Norway. And then uh, it carried on over the last couple of days as well. And Alan Cawley was the first one to talk about. It. So let's listen to him and his thoughts on the decision to promote more and rather than have him of use to the uh, 21s. I don't think this is the right thing at all, Peter, I have to be honest. And that's nothing against Andrew Moran, who's a fantastic young player and who will go on to have a great career with Ireland. But right now, at this moment in time, based on where the senior team are and effectively a dead rubber tomorrow night against the Netherlands yeah. and a meaningless friendly against New Zealand on Tuesday night in a half-empty stadium, I don't think that's going to benefit Andy Moore whatsoever. His debuts and his uh, prolonged senior career will come afterwards. It's not like this is a case of a lad who soldiered all his career and he's getting a call up at 29 and his dream has come true. This young fella is, is going to have a really, really brilliant career. And right now in this moment in time, I think he would be best served playing with the 21s in what's two huge, crucial games, one today and one on Tuesday night and I would also throw Amabama Daly into the mix in that as well Peter yeah. because I think we have to give ourselves the best possible opportunity to try and qualify for a major tournament the under 21s have never qualified for a major yeah. tournament and we keep hearing about Stephen obviously changing the face of Irish football and the culture and bringing young lads through and we see that tweet about 24 debuts it's not about giving lads debuts Yes, it's about changing the culture and trying in terms to promote the game and, and develop the game. But right now at this moment in time, I think those lads will be far better served. And there's a history of this. If you go back to the playoff game against Israel as well, Israel dropped down three lads from their senior team to play in that playoff and we ended up losing on penalties. Yeah. We should have dropped two or three down off that as well. Amabama Daly is probably fifth, sixth choice centre half at the moment when you think of the three or four that are, that are ahead of him. His last competitive game, Peter, was on the 29th of August for Norwich. He hasn't 
kick the ball in months. He'd be better off playing with the lads. Alright, so that's Alan Colley. And that was actually before the Norway game. So it carried on then in the build-up to the Dutch game where Didi Hamann agreed with the general point Alan Colley made, but then he also said it was inexcusable um, that Moran was uh, brought into the seniors given the uh, competitive nature of the uh, the what the under-21s had ahead of them. But he also said the decision uh, should have been taken out of Stephen Kenny's hands. And Shea Given and Richie Sadler agreed with the first part of it in terms of that maybe Moran should have stayed with the 21s, but I think they were not in agreement in terms of something like that being taken out of the manager's hands. And um, David, I mean, looking at it, that would have been, I presume, a bit of a dangerous precedent if there's somebody, let's say, in this scenario, uh, a director of football like Mark Cannon making a decision about who gets into what squad. Yeah, no, it's ridiculous to be suggesting that the manager can't pick the squad. You know, you can criticise and... You can criticise maybe selections and even say the point Alan Colley was making even as well about Andrew Omobamadele as well. Like, it's a valid one too, I suppose, you know. Um, like, it's interesting if you look at it as well, Ireland have done it. Like, you know, Aaron Connolly went back down to play for the 21s as well when maybe it's kind of a different circumstance in the sense that obviously kind of broke into the senior team. Club career dipped again. It's another kind of indication of, you know, like these fellas can have a bright start and the nature of... of and even on in Aaron Connolly's point of view and what he's kind of said, you know, distractions come into it, the point that Keith made earlier, that's where I was coming into it earlier as well, where there's so much promise, but there's still so much, there's so many pitfalls in, in various factors that are still ahead of them that they do have to maintain. Like the Moran situation, it's just one of those where it, it's going to grow legs because of obviously you've got a manager who's under pressure regardless anyway. And not that it's easy or it's cheap. It's, it's a valid point you make and we'll, He's basically he's the stand-in captain for the twenty ones. They've had that big game in Norway. Like I watched, they were they were very unlucky in the end. Just switched off in a in a couple of moments and and gave away two two uh two goals. But at the end of the day, like do you know what I mean, at the hot, I know what you're saying about twenty ones, but at the end of the day, regardless, it's a if if he is still a senior manager, he still has that right to be thinking. Well, these are the players I want. This is who I want to bring in. I would imagine it was a with a view to making sure he's around the squad because he's going to be involved in the in the New Zealand game. Yeah, the 21s, like, you, you can be sure that, the, like, like in the past, there was like, conversations with Jim Crawford uh, about it. You, I, I imagine he wouldn't have been best players that he's probably going to lose one of his most influential players in terms of how they like to play. Um, But at the end of the day, he's still the senior team manager. He still has that right to pick who he wants and, like, it, the decision can, can still be criticised. The thing about taking it out of his hands, like, that's just bizarre kind of kind of thinking and, and, and logic in the sense of like of, of doing that. It's it's coming because obviously Stephen Kenny's own position is is coming to an end and it's like, well, the, the decision should be taken out of his hands, but he's still the senior manager. So like the decision the FAO have still given him that right to make it and he was well within his in his rights to do it. And um so yeah, like it's just it's it's not that it's a non-issue. I just don't think it's as big an issue as people are are discussing. Do you know what I mean? I, I really don't. Um, and yeah, that's it really. <laughs> and uh, Keith, from a player's point of view and like your own experience of having played in the 21s and then made it to, to the senior team, uh, but now we can't presuppose what Moran, what Moran would be thinking and what, what he would want to do. But I guess the goal for every player is to, to make it at senior level and as quickly as uh, possible. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a really tough one this Raf, because I can see I can see it from both sides. You can see that the twenty ones are right in the mix of qualifying now in that group. They need all the best players, but 
for me, the the the, the, the underage teams are there to save the force team. And if the force team want an underage player, the twenty ones and nineteens, if they want them, then it's it's their right to go and get them. And I've been in that position where I've been playing for Don Givens in the under twenty ones, and I've been flirting with maybe getting into the force team. And once you start hearing your name being linked with the senior team, you start looking around the twenty ones and thinking, oh, I, I wish I was with the senior team. And look, I, I think Andrew Moran personally, I think he would want to play for the senior team. Now that we're, we've gone the other side of the weekend and Andrew Morton didn't play in the qualifier against Holland, it makes the decision you know, very, very questionable because the right thing for him at this moment in time is to play big games. That was a big game against Norway. It was an international game. That would have been a building block for him to say, well, I played in the under-21s. I've been in deep water with the 21s. I'm ready for the senior team now and he can start putting building blocks there. He just took that building block away and it looks like, I would imagine he'll get some game time tomorrow against New Zealand. And that might justify the decision, but taking him out of two very serious games for the, the 21s to give him a friendly cap international, I, I don't think really warrants it. But I, I can see Andrew Morden. When you're a player, sometimes you think, Alan Colley's right, you know, Andrew Morden, you would imagine, would go on to get a whole host of caps for the Republic at some point. But when you're a player and you're within it, you're thinking, there's no tomorrow, we need that cap now. Mm-hmm. I want to be there now. And you're only ever a bad injury away from not fulfilling your potential. So, Andrew Morton, I'm sure, to be chomping at the bit saying, give me that cap, I want that cap. But the 21s need him. And I'm sure he is mating around the 21s. That It's not quite as professional as the senior team. It's a little bit looser. You have a bit more crack. So I'm sure he would have wanted to be there with his mates and, and really try and push that over the line. But again, Raph, I can see that from both sides. I could go down either argument. I know as a player, you would want to be in the senior team. I, but Stephen has been an under-21s manager as well. So he's been in, in, he's been in Jim Crawford's shoes and he's thought, OK, well, I'm going to take him. And... It, it does look like a selfish decision to me, but I'm sure Andrew Moore won't be complaining if he gets a cap tomorrow. Yeah, and the result, of course, in Dramon, and uh, it was sub-zero temperatures. Ireland lost uh, 3-2 there. Idamo Maku and Sinclair Armstrong got the, the Irish goals, but uh, ultimately a couple of Norwegian goals towards the end in a spell of four minutes uh, saw the game turned around. Uh, let's listen to Idamo Maku, and then we'll, uh, we'll discuss uh, an aspect of the game. Idamo, you're our player of the match. That was a difficult night. Did so, so well. Just didn't finish well for you. How do you sum it up? Uh, yeah, you can't fault the effort of the lads, you know what I mean? Go a goal down and obviously come back to go 2-1 up. Uh, I think a few things went against us, and I'm sure all the lads felt like that as well. But uh, look, that's the game we play. You know, we have to take the highs with the lows, and uh, we all look forward to Tuesday now and to put things right. From a personal perspective, great battling performance from you in particular. You never stopped working and you got your reward as well. Yeah, I think that's all you can do, to be honest. You know, I think we st- they started the game on top. You know, they, they were passing the ball around. And I think that's when you have to, like, kind of look at, assess the situation and just, like, you know, start digging in for the team. And I think that's what I've done. And uh, obviously, fortunate to get my goal and the assist for Sinclair. Great finish from him as well. So uh, Great chemistry there between you two. Yeah, yeah. We've, we've been playing football together for as long as I can remember. You know, it's only now that we're kind of separated in a, a club level. But we played together back in Ireland at Rovers. We played together on a school team. So we've, we've played together quite a few times. So I know how he plays. I know how he wants to play. Play. He knows how I want to play. He knows where I want the ball. I know where he wants the ball. So it's just kind of almost that like brotherhood between us. So um, yeah, it's it's good playing with me now. So yeah, it's... first setback. Can you get back into this? You're you're not out of it by a long shot. You're right in this, but a huge game now on Tuesday. No, no chance. I think we're still in it because you know first three games, you know three wins, and obviously unfortunate not to lose, win tonight. But uh, look, three out of four, we'll take any day of the week. You know what I mean? So. Uh, yeah, we look forward to Italy now on Tuesday and just to put things right on there. I'm sure all that will be buzzing for it now and uh, I'll focus on Tuesday. Well done, Idemo. Thank you.
All right, so that's Ida Moa McIlder, who was Ireland's player of the match and uh, scored uh, the Irish opener, which was uh, the equaliser to make it 1-1 um, in the first half. But um, he got subbed off then, Keith, and a little bit, what seemed to be a little bit early, although I think the, the logic of it was there's a crucial qualifier against Italy uh, tomorrow, which is going to be live on RT2, RT player, uh, 5 p.m. And, uh, well, that's when the coverage starts and kick off at half five. What did you make of that decision? Johnny Penny came on and it seemed to, and as he alluded to there, he's got a great connection with uh, Sinclair Armstrong and the game seemed to get away from Ireland around that point onwards and then uh, the Norwegians got a couple of goals, although that had, again, the penalty, of course, had nothing to do with whether Amaku was on the pitch or not. Yeah, I think in hindsight, Raph, it's probably probably the wrong decision. You can see what Jim Crawford's thinking, I'll get him off, I, I want to keep him fresh for the Italian game, but given how close the game was and they could have easily won it, was on a knife edge. It just makes the mind wander and think if a Mackie had stayed on the pitch, could have could Ireland have gone and took the initiative and maybe maybe win it. But look, they did their fine details in the game, but it's great to see the 21s, you know, competing in groups. And the Italian game now, uh, now tomorrow's going to be a huge, huge game. The Italians yet to even concede a, concede a goal in the group. So defensively, very, very strong. But, with Sinclair and Armstrong as well. And Armstrong's a big, big, strong boy. He's physically able to match anybody. He's quite mobile as well. Sometimes you see these lads with all the muscles and you think, yeah, but he won't be able to run. He's quite mobile as well and he can get into a physical battle. Not a bad little finisher. So we have hope in that game. There's every chance we can go and get something out of it. It's going to be an uphill battle. The lads are going to have to suffer. But that's what I... Uh, listen to Amaku there. You hear him saying, you know, sometimes we have to assess the situation. We don't just go running around. I think... That's brilliant. That, that's problem solving. That's excellent. That's exactly what you want. Now, it's going to be, you know, 10 times worse when he gets into the senior team and, you know, people like De Jong or Rinders have the ball in the Dutch and he needs to make split-second decisions whether or not to go distances. But he's doing that now. He's doing that at a lesser level, but he's assessing the situation. Will I, won't I? He's thinking for himself. He's not just thinking, well, the manager said I need to do that, so I'm doing that. He's thinking, what's right for the team? Will I, won't I? And I, that, that's brilliant for me. That's what under-21's football is all about. He's learning. And you're thinking Andrew Morton in the mix of there as well. You know, it, it's just you're thinking hindsight's a wonderful thing, but you're just thinking if we'd have had kept the Mackey on the pitch, Andrew Morton in the mixer, could we have won that game? And then we're bouncing into the Italian game. But as it was, look, we're not out of it. There's no point being downbeat. It's still, we're still right in the mixer. It's going to be tough against the Italians, but oh yeah, I wouldn't be backing against us, Raf. Yeah, and uh, turning our attention to the Women's Cup final and at Lone Town winning their first trophy. I think this is only their whatever three or four years in, in involvement in the uh, in the Women's Premier Division. So it's a great story. So they were up against Shelburne, a repeat of last year's cup final, which they lost. And Athlone and Shells played out a two-all draw at Tala Stadium yesterday um, with Athlone winning 4-3 on penalties. And it was a game that was thrilling and tense in equal measure. Dana Sheriff for Athlone opening the score and led the line really well in that game but then Gemma Quinn scored a brace once in normal time to equalise it and then uh, a goal early in uh, extra time to uh, give Shells the lead but then Gillian Keenan equalised before uh, the, penalt- the, the penalties uh, uh, came along and of course that loan started the game really well before Shells sort of came into it and Chloe Singleton was the player of the match for Athlone Town and she was speaking to Valerie Wheeler. I actually can't put into words how that feels. I'm a ball of emotions, you know. We went 1-0 up, I thought that was it. Managed the game. In fairness to Shelburne, they're some club. They, they have a way of coming back into the game. I actually cannot put into words how I feel right now. I'm just, I'm lost for words. I'm so emotional. Like, I genuinely cannot believe it. 
headed to extra time, then of course the penalties. What was it like just before the penalties? Oh, it was a bag of nerves. You know, we were 2-1 down, we thought that was it, but to the girls, this year we've we've come from loss or from being down in games last week against Shamrock Rovers, 4-1 down to end up drawing for all. It's a, it's what this team is about, it's what the girls are about. We've so much grit and determination and to come back like that and win on penalties. I'm so proud of the girls and that's all I can really say about that. Yeah, you worked so hard and for the first time ever you've the cup in your hands. You no, know, I cannot believe it, you know. It's a credit to the club, to Tommy who had us at the start of the year, to Kieran and Ken who came in, to all the background staff, to the girls, to all the fans who came up from Atlone today, everyone watching at home, it's a credit to everyone. We couldn't have done this without the support we have back home and I'm just absolutely so proud of everyone. Well done, congratulations again. Thanks a million. All right, so that is uh, Chloe Singleton, player of the match, who was speaking to Valerie Wheeler there. And again, as I said, it was a tense, uh, it was a tense tussle. I suppose before we uh, play the managers, Kieran Kildoff uh, of Athlone Town, then Noel King, also Shelburne, who's finishing up his spell in charge, which uh, has yielded three trophies, including a double uh, last season. I mean, uh, David, it's a great story for Athlone uh, overall. Yeah, like I, I was at the final last year covering it and it was interesting because at the time they, they were defiant afterwards, obviously Tommy Ewey, who was the manager and, and since the part and he was adamant that obviously, you know, they're going to kick on and they're going to be challenging again for, for the league and for, and for the cup and obviously stuff that was going on obviously with Shamrock Rovers coming back into the league and they weren't able to probably kick on as, as they were able to. And it was very interesting even just listening to, to Kieran Kilduff talk about what it meant to him and the fact that obviously he won stuff as a player with, with Dundalk and won stuff in the league and like the fact that he felt like he won 26 medals just because of having that, not the ownership, but just having that kind of responsibility in, with the squad. And then you see like the drama of it and just the finish of it. It's very rare that you're going to get that that level of kind of excitement and drama normally, an extra time normally. It's a case of, you know, almost teams subconsciously don't want to make that mistake, don't want to be, don't want to be kind of pressing or don't want to be kind of leaving themselves exposed for it, for maybe making that mistake and then, and then obviously giving something away. But yeah, it was serious drama. You kind of felt for shells a little bit because it was a cracking goal to to go ahead, and then equally like the touch of the finish for for the equaliser next time was was superb. But it's it's one of them where you, you think for for that for that loan will it be used for them as a bit of a springboard for for something else for something more for for next year and maybe with a manager like Kieran Kilduff even listening to some of the comments from the players even in the build up to the match. And like you mentioned, obviously Dana Sheriff was there. She was even saying it just like the impact that that he's had as well. So that's going to be something to kind of to keep an eye on it because you kind of see it with in the women's league with like how how female and almost like it's almost as if they're the outliers because they're not that club who are associated with the League of Ireland. They're very much out there out there on their own a little bit. But at long kind of have that sense a little bit. You know what I mean? Like the kind of the outsiders obviously in the Midlands are not one of the big seen as one of the bigger clubs that would be around, but. They've been there and thereabouts over the last couple of years, and now they might have that young manager who has the desire, not so much the desire, but that kind of connection now to feeling to actually stick around and maybe do something more with them for next year, too. Yeah, let's listen to Kieran Kilduff and then also to Noel King. Kieran, first of all, heart stopping stuff there in the end, but congratulations. Yeah, no, um, incredible. I think just the drama probably of this whole campaign for us. That's our third penalty shootout. So, um, and listen, it is something we've practiced, you know what I mean? We know it, whatever it takes to win it, you got to do and be prepared. And um, yeah, I would have bit your hand off with six or seven minutes to go and extra time, two, one down for a penalty shootout. So uh, to get there and to get the, for the girls to show the character, um, yeah, couldn't be prouder. Dana delivered and then Gillian got you to the penalties, to be fair to her. 
Ah, listen, she's a superstar, like in fairness to what I was trying to get her on earlier, and she, um, she couldn't, ha couldn't happen to a nicer kid. That moment, as I said to her at the end, I was like, uh, I've never experienced anything like it. You think maybe it's getting away from you, and uh, I'm just delighted for her. She's a, she's a special person, and the girls love her, and uh, what a moment. You should have kept the suit on. I know, I might have to put it back on now as well, but I suppose as well it's important to, to wish Noel best of luck and whatever he does. Um, you know, we had a good chat at the media day on Monday, and um, look, at he's far from finished, but um, I think after the match is the right time to wish him best wishes. Um, I'm delighted for, for our lot, obviously, but I wish him well. I did mention your playing career at the start, that you've achieved so much, but you've a medal around your neck now with those girls. What's that feel like? Yeah, um, that's a special one, to be honest. Um, you know, I think, as I said probably earlier to you, when you're representing a group, it's different than just worrying about yourself. And I feel like we got 25 or 26 medals today for my day's work, so I'm delighted for them. I really am proud of them. First of all, commiserations. It's never an easy way to lose those penalties. <laughs> it's never an easy, an easy way to lose a final. Penalties are just one of those things. It happens. Um, it was a great game, I thought. Both teams really went for it. I think it's a good advertisement for the league, for the girls, the progress they're making. And uh, the only thing that went wrong on the day was to lose the bloody thing, even though we had it uh, we had in their grasp after fighting, fighting back so well, so strong. And um, I'm sorry for the girls, I really am, because it would have been great. Both deserve to win it, to be fair. Yeah, you can see they're terribly heartbroken there. Yeah, well, that's the way, that's the passionate people they are, and that's what they put in. They put in so much effort and training during the week. It's a full commitment. It's not as amateur, you know what I mean? It may be amateur in the name, but it's not. It's it's uh, going towards a professional way of life, and they live their life nearly seven days a week to, for football. Unfortunately, you didn't get to go out on the high, but do you look back at your time fondly with them? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, these, they're great people, they're great players, and I've enjoyed every... Well, not every bit of it. You get a bit cranky too when you get old. So. <laughs> but uh, oh, overall, I'm, I'm glad I had the opportunity to come and do what we've done together. And it was... Uh, I'm delighted. They'll be able to bounce back from this. They, there's no doubt the dressing room was full of talent, absolutely, from the 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds to 33-year-olds and 35-year-olds. Lots of talent. It's a big club uh, in terms of women's football, anyway, that's for sure. And uh, I wish them all the very well. All right, so that's Noel King there who's signing off with Shells after a very successful spell, uh, including uh, three trophies, um, winning the cup last year. And uh, that was being that was part of a double and then having won the league in very dramatic fashion the year before that. And you mentioned Don Givens there earlier, Keith, in terms of the 21s. Noel King, I think you your crossover from the 21s into the uh, into the senior Ireland team. Am I right in saying Noel King um, took over the 21s just after you'd finished up at that age grade? Yeah, I just got into the I just got into the senior team when when he took over. So I, I never actually played under him or for him, but I I've, I've met him a few times, a uh, couple of things, you know, a couple of little events here and there. And he's he's a proper proper football man. You can just rock up to him, have a chat. You can pick his brains about anything. And in the women's football as well, he's been really really good, brilliant career. And like Kieran Kilduff said, he, he's by no means finished. I think he's going to take a bit of a break now, but he's by no means finishing. Just a refreshing interview. Obviously, low as a snake's belly, just lost the final on penalties, but still smiling, still having a bit of crack, still seems happy enough in himself. And yeah, he's an absolute legend of the game. And every every little interaction I've had with him, I've come away thinking he's a, a real legend and a, and a real football man. 
Yeah, and before we just talk about Everton, just a little bit of news in terms of League of Ireland and uh, Cork City still looking for a first-team manager. There was uh, the rumour mill last week where the ex-Cliftonville boss and current Derry assistant Paddy McLaughlin was linked with the Cork City job, but uh, he ultimately ruled himself out and then added that he was kind of frustrated with the rumours that, that had come out, which had suggested that a move was imminent when, in fact, uh, it wasn't. But uh, something that is confirmed, Drada United manager Kevin Doherty signing a two-year full-time deal there, and uh, that's great stability for the club he did a brilliant job over the not just this past season but the season before that as well and then Kerry FC as well a little bit of a change there with Billy Dennehy stepping down as manager to focus on the role as sporting director and uh, they finished with 10 points last season but they did beat at low and so they have that sort of monkey off their back in terms of having uh, a win um, at League of Ireland level and uh, Conor McCarthy will take on the head coach duties and uh, the rest of the backroom team is staying in situ as well. And I think, in fact, at 25, he's supposed to be the uh, the youngest head coach or manager uh, in League of Ireland history as well. So that, that's an interesting one. But uh, gray in six months. <laughs> yeah. That's before he even played a match. That'd be just... <laughs> Yeah, no, look, management management is tough. But look, um, in terms of Everton, before we go, um, they were deducted 10 points by an independent commission after being found to breach Premier League financial rules. The league referred Everton to the commission in March for an alleged breach of its profitability and sustainability rules in the period ending in the 2021-22 season. And the rules allow clubs to lose a maximum of 105 million over a three-year period or face sanctions. And they are facing sanctions. They are going to appeal that, of course. But um, David, like looking at the overall situation, there is a bit of context here with the Premier League. There's a sense that they're flexing their muscles and they're the one they recommended a 12-point deduction in the end, the independent um adjudicators here uh, decided on 10 but there's an independent regulator that's supposed to be coming in and this is part of a UK government push and there is a sense the Premier League are sort of getting ahead of it well yeah because the Premier League are one of the kind of they're trying to push against it because they don't want it do you know what I mean? That's the interesting aspect here. And obviously there's situations that are going on with, with obviously Manchester City and that's a more complex case in the sense that there's obviously a lot more charges, 115 charges. Um, that's kind of in the process now with the with the different lawyers that are obviously being being involved. There's a situation emerging now over the last week with payments from, from Roman Abramovich with, with Chelsea and they thought Chelsea had already had to, their new owners had already been, had to kind of... um. What, what was the fine they paid? They paid an amount um for previous breaches that had happened as well. And then you see what's happened there with, with Everton. And it's you, you readings of some of the in the UK press reading about it, it's it, it's very striking that yeah, the Premier League, it's almost as like the Premier League were trying to distance themselves from it a little bit. They were making it very clear that this was from the independent uh, commission, that they're the ones who handed the, down this uh, down this ban like straight away. It's typical, kind of straight away, it's almost like you would expect it from fans. They're the ones who are going to feel this the most in the sense that just that tribalism comes into it and they'll say, well, what's going to happen with, with others? Everton mentioned it in the statement, didn't they? In their own statement when they were saying about they were going to appeal it because they have, isn't it, a couple of weeks to appeal it as well. So, and there's some suggestion that the, the points deduction will come down there. Like, They've been basically working under a salary cap in with the with the Premier League for the last couple of years, and then each time they've made transfers, the Premier League, Premier League have been warning them. Everton are trying to say, well, you know, they had a plan to get to get um stadium rights with Trudeau, well, the previous owner who now looks as if he's gone new some of um company and the, the war in Ukraine, and they're trying to make it down to accountancy issues that it's not. As if they were there saying they wasn't. It was flagrant, and Premier League on the independent commissioner saying, well, no, it's clear breaches and 
it's there's a lot of what aboutry here, but the fact is, like they they broke the rules, do you know what I mean? And straight away those people coming out, it's like like there's gonna be that PR bottle battle that has to be won and and we'll say, well, do you know, clubs who came out and wanted to create the Super League and destroy the Premier League, they got a, a, a meager financial penalty. Whereas now a club like Everton, who by all accounts they say, well, they've been working hand in hand with the Premier League within that salary cap for the last couple of years once. It became clear that they were obviously in breach of, of, of stuff. They'll say, well, they, they've tried their best and they still get get punished harshly. But I don't know, like it's you say, oh, it's, it's the fans, but like, it's hard to have too much sympathy, I'll be honest. Like, especially if you consider some of the, like, the waste is on it, it is hard to have um, too much sympathy. But then the other aspect, as, as I kind of said there straight away, which is always the way in football, the tribalism kicks in. They'll say, well, what about X? What about what about Y? But fact is, they're gonna they're gonna have to appeal. Probably the, reading between reading some of the articles that have come out over the last little while and reading between the lines of other bits, maybe there's the sense that the, this initial fun, uh, penalty came out, known that be obviously the appeal, and then it'll be re, be reduced. But I don't know. It's hard. It, I'll be honest. It's hard. I don't. It is hard to have too much sympathy for the club. I've got to be honest. With you. Yeah, and uh, one of the other aspects, of course, clubs that were relegated last season could sue. Yeah. I think they have a month to do so as well, which could change the picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, if uh, if that doesn't occur, um, Keith, looking at Everton on the pitch, and I mean, they're only the 10-point deduction, I think it maybe tells you what the, the balance in the table at the moment. They're only two points away from, from safety, even with a 10-point deduction. The one thing on their side, and this is a manager you've worked uh, worked under as well previously, Sean Dyche is probably the best man to have there for this kind of firefighting job and to push them back up out of, uh, or push them back up from underwater, essentially. Yeah, when um, the foot, when as soon as this news broke that everything had been inducted 10 points, I thought, I'd love to be in that everything dressing room now because you, Sean Dyche will come in and as soon as you start thinking, oh, we're back in the relegations, oh my God, it doesn't seem, we start clicking on the pitch and all of a sudden we get a slap on the wrist in the boardroom and it's not even our fault anymore. He will just walk in and he will take that excuse away. He'll say, lads, I'm not having it. I'm just not having it. You want to come in and start giving out about this and that? Just go away because he just he won't care if it's the best player if it's Dominic Calvert Lewin. If you want to have that attitude, get out of here. We're not having it. We're not using that as an excuse. No, we'll be taken away. And even now, we, we, I, I I said at the start of the season, if Sean Dyche keeps everything in the Premier League this season, he deserves to be in the mix of our uh, manager of the year. If he keeps him in the Premier League now after a ten point deduction after losing to Marty Gray and Alex Awobi just before the season started. I mean, he should be given the freedom of, of Liverpool, this fella. It's it's unbelievable. The, the job he is doing there is, is unbelievable. Even now, after 10-point deduction, people are saying to me, I still think everything will be all right. That, that's crazy stuff to say. Like, 10-point deduction. And look, I get that, you know, Luton aren't, aren't great. They're not really getting points on the board. Bournemouth playing good football, but not getting points on the board. And Sheffield, you know, you're having a bit of a struggle as well. So there is three worse teams than everything. But to get 10-point deduction, to be able to... Imagine what that dressing room must be feeling like now. And yeah. like what David said, the, the tribalism, it does. Like I, I'm obviously I'm not an Everton fan, but I'm a Sean Dyche fan. And I look at it from his point of view. And this is one charge that Everton have been charged with. And from my from, from my knowledge, they were transparent about it. They were working with the FA the whole way through. They were holding their hands up saying, well, you know, with COVID, with the with the new stadium, with everything that's going on, things have got a little bit out of hand here. And they, they were totally transparent. And let's be honest, we have 20, I think it's 19 and a half million they overspent. But I think if they'd have sold Richardson to sports for 80 million rather than 60 million, this wouldn't be happening. So 
it's not a lot. Like that's peanuts in Premier League football. It really is peanuts. I think for nineteen and a half million, everything have been docked ten points. That's nearly for every two million they've overspent, they've been done a point. That's a ridiculous ratio. And I know it'll probably get dropped to six, maybe seven points or whatever. But it just sets a very, very dangerous reason. Like I said, in, in this big world of Premier League football, it's hard to feel sorry for anybody in that world. But you know, when, when a team has done wrong but held their hands up and got that, you're thinking that that that's very, very heavy-handed, and you've set a dangerous piece for what you're going to do moving forward now. Of course, before we go, uh, the uh, Ireland under twenty ones in action against Italy tomorrow. That's Tuesday, five pm. Um, the coverage begins, and then half seven, the coverage of the Ireland New Zealand friendly, also on RT two and RT player, will get underway. And if you're uh, hanging on after the match, of course, as well, there's Kevin Moore and Coldbreaker. If you didn't catch it when it was broadcast uh, initially, well worth a watch. Um, obviously, a great character, great uh, one of our one of our great legends. And uh, David and Keith, thanks very much for your time. And to play us out, it's going to be James McLean speaking in the press conference earlier on what it has meant to him uh, to play for Ireland. Oh, look, I've never had the fact that look, it means everything. Um, the the Ireland jersey, along with their their city jersey, you know, it's a jersey that means more to me than anything else ever will. Uh, and tomorrow night, for the last time, you know, I'll, I'll pull it on. And you know, when I say when I, when I say that out loud, it's obviously you know it's a bit uh, it's a bit sad that that's going to be the case. But look, tomorrow night when I pull it on, I'll do what I've done 102 times before, and I'll try and. Uh, do it with as much pride and as much justice uh, as possible because there's, like I said, there's no, there's no more special feeling than pulling on the, the green jersey and representing your country.